it took me a while to get there about my marriage and about parenting. But once I started to have open and honest conversations with other mothers, I realized, hey, I'm not alone. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Christine Michelle Carter, who is a global voice for working moms. She's a writer, marketing strategist, and parent who clarifies misconceptions for brands around working mom consumers and serves as an amplifier for their personal truths. Christine is also the author of Mom AF, a novel about the realities of being a working mom inspired by her own life and writing work. It's a very fun and real read. And she's the author of a children's book, Can Mommy Go to Work?, which she worked on with her own kids. Today, we're talking about a few important issues all working moms face. The elusive question of balance, handling imposter syndrome, and avoiding the ever-looming burnout. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Christine. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Christine for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Christine, how are you? I'm well, Chelsea. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast for Working Moms Month. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and your working motherhood. So I am an author. I have two books, a children's book and a book for moms, Can Mommy Go to Work and Mom AF. I am also a speaker and a consultant. I advise brands on how to attract and retain millennial talent from an HR perspective, and then also how to uh, market to millennial mom consumers from a consumer marketing perspective. And then I also run the nation's first free uh, Mommy and Me professional development event called Mompreneur and Me. You are a busy lady and you have two kids too, right? I have two kids and I'm actually, by the time this airs, I will have announced that I'm going to be the new associate editor for Modern Mom. Oh so, my goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Like I'm not a woman without jobs. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we're talking all about working motherhood this month here on the podcast. And I know that as we're recording this, it's the midst of COVID-19, right? And we're all home and we're with our kids. And it brings up, I think, a lot of this idea of balance and this elusive idea of balance. So what are your thoughts on this idea of having it all? So I always say the only way you can have it all is to go to the grocery store and buy a bottle of all detergent. But you can't even do that now because of COVID and quarantine. It doesn't exist. To me, balance is kind of like the scales of justice where it always ebbs and flows. And there are going to be times when you're fully dedicated to your career. And unfortunately, but realistically, let's be honest, your children are on the back burner or your personal life is. And then there are times when you really need to devote time to the children and your spouse. And you have to step away from the company, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're an employee at a organization. So it just, there is no such thing as balance. And it's interesting with COVID and with the quarantine, it's almost like there was a group of women who, or there was a group of people who kept saying the sky is falling down, the sky is falling down and politicians and the government and employers didn't want to believe them. And like, no chicken little, the sky is still very much in the air. And the, and the women are like, no, the sky is falling down. And then this happens. And then all of a sudden there are a lot of employers in the government who are like, oh my God, the sky really was falling down. These women have it very hard balancing work and career. And it's like, no shit. We told you that for years, how hard this is. And now you have us doing it in the midst of a pandemic. You know, this isn't working from home. This is working during a crisis. And you expect us to have balance? (laughs) It's completely unrealistic. It's completely unrealistic. And I think that idea that there's shifts, right? There's times when your job is more important and there's time when your kids are more important. It's something we're hearing more often, but that doesn't erase the mom guilt, right? And the idea that like, well, I feel like I'm being terrible at everything all the time. So what advice do you have for moms that are trying to lean into letting things have their season? I definitely think having some type of tribe or community that you can speak with online and offline helps. It's funny, I was just talking about this on Instagram last night, the guilt that we feel as mothers 
and the guilt that we feel just with our bodies actually coincidentally. And it's just because both are so prevalent, right? Everybody has a body mm-hmm. and everybody has a mother or we wouldn't be on the planet. So it's almost like the minute you become a mother, you start to compare yourself to somebody who's been a mother for decades or a friend who's been a mother longer than you. And it's like, how could you say I'm a terrible mom or I'm struggling right now and I feel guilty for feeling this way or feeling that way about motherhood because you're comparing yourself to somebody who's been doing it so much longer. And you're absolutely right. Like the guilt never goes away. Never. Actually, Mompreneur and me was founded. The insight was that moms were actually guilty for leaving their children to do professional development events, even when it was for the betterment of the child in the future. They felt extremely guilty about going to conferences. They felt extremely guilty for leaving the children to even work on professional development skills, which is the whole reason we have one hour where the moms and the kids do a hands-on activity together, because you can't ever really get rid of the guilt that moms feel, but at least I guess the whole idea with mompreneur me is the community and being able to discuss the feelings helps to subside that a bit. And you've had to have experienced this, right? Because it sounds oh like you're working God, yes. many, many jobs. Yes. <laughs> so yes. how do you address this with your kids, right? Eight and five, they're getting to the age where they can see that mommy is working. And how do we handle that? So I'm very thankful that once I divorced, I tried to be, you know, type A mom, still control freaking handling everything. And then I realized that if I didn't have the support of my children, that I was going to fail and I was going to just fall into some type of anxiety coma. So my children are extremely independent. They know the value of a dollar. They know that hard work equals money. So they get chores and they get compensation for the chores and they are a lot more mindful about how they spend their money. Now, how that ladders back up to me and my career is they understand that I'm working for money so that I can pay bills, so that I can buy them whatever they want from the grocery store, buy whatever the latest toy is. They know that that comes at a price. That's really hard for moms to do too, to let go of the reins and understand that your children have to be very independent and and that they need to understand like for you to have a little bit of balance, there's got to be some gift. Like you have to have a community of support and that includes the children, which is why my heart goes out to mothers with smaller kids because it's not that easy. You know, it's it, they're eight and five to your point. So we can have those conversations about what money means and and why mommy does work so hard. Yeah, my two-year-old does not get it yet. He just comes in. (laughs) Actually, he comes in and goes, do a podcast, do a podcast. And then he just wants to babble into the microphone, which is very cute, but not exactly productive. Right, right. (laughs) That's adorable. So what other support are you looking for, right? So you have your kids buy-in. Do you have family support? Do you hire support? Because obviously, like all the household tasks and childcare tasks on their own are full-time jobs. Right. So recently I've hired support, a lovely 13-year-old girl in the neighborhood named Anne, who I actually find to be more critical to my life than my ex-husband. So she has helped me out with babysitting quite a bit. And I am ashamed that I didn't hand over the reins of babysitting sooner. When it comes to my house, I am a little bit of a neat freak. So my house is usually clean. I don't have to worry about that too much. I'm like always cleaning but I do have the support of my family and friends. My family makes it possible for me to do all of this stuff because most of the time the children, if I have to travel overnight for a conference or speak, they are the ones who are there to watch the kids overnight. And without them, I don't know what I would do. I definitely need, it takes a community. It truly does. And I have a a very supportive employer who understands that I speak and I write. They actually encourage me to do both. So it's definitely something that the reason I'm able to do everything is because I do have that community, but I had to over communicate and really build a community to say, I can't really do this alone. I've tried to, and I'm not successful at it by myself. I need help. And there's a lot of anecdotal data around the fact that a lot of women feel like they need help, but don't ask for help or don't want to ask for help. So what insight or advice do you have on how to overcome that barrier, right? And reach out and find the support that you need. It definitely goes back to just the guilt, right? The idea that, well, if so-and-so is doing it and you really don't know what's going on in their household, but just externally you're thinking if so-and-so is doing it, why can't I do it? 
and it really goes back to just having a community and being very honest and very transparent about what your life is. Like you read Mom AF, you know that Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a pretty honest and transparent person. It took me a while to get there about my marriage and about parenting. But once I started to have open and honest conversations with other mothers, I realized, hey, I'm not alone. Like this person feels the same way I do. So that helped. As cliche as that sounds, it really did help. It was cathartic. It was almost like the step before really seeking out therapy and then building and and improving on myself to be able to speak with other women and realize, hey, you're not alone. And then to actually work on that in therapy, those are two things that just go hand in hand with reducing that guilt and reducing the feeling that you have to be the person who handles everything. It's really funny. So my mom lives close by and she'll come over and watch our boys. And for a long time, my husband and I were super resentful almost that we'd come home and the kids would be asleep and the house would be clean and she'd just be sitting on the couch. And finally, I said something to her and she's like, I have to do this like one day a week. (laughs) This isn't my whole life. Right. And you should actually be happy because they were showing off. Oh, you know, like, right. They were showing off for their grandmother. They're not going (laughs) to act that way around you because they're like, your mom, I'm I'm going to listen to you. I know that all too well, all too well. Yeah. And we compare, right? We're like, why can't we be as good as our moms were? Even though. Right. Who's been doing it for years? Exactly. Years. So, Christine, you write and speak professionally, which has got to bring up the big question of imposter syndrome, which is so common with working moms. So how did you get started in this space? So I got started when I had a retail marketing firm back in 2007. I worked with small business mom and pop stores, and they were really interested in, at the time, reaching Generation Y consumers, um, now millennial consumers. And even though I had been writing and speaking about Generation Y for the past 13 years, it doesn't stop me from feeling like an imposter. I always feel like as the minority in the room that I'm inferior. And that's something that a lot of women, especially women of color, feel. I wrote a very long and viral article for Forbes about it, about going up to New York for a marketing event and feeling like I didn't belong in the first class because all of the other professionals were older white men in suits and I had on like sweats. <laughs> I totally <laughs> I totally didn't look like I should be riding the Acela train to New York. But I feel it every now and then too. And, and just like I wrote in the article, I have to sometimes sit back and recognize my accomplishments and I, I write them down so that whenever I do feel like an imposter, I can look back and say, because as women, we have the tendency to just rush over each success and just keep pushing full steam ahead. So sometimes I do need to go back and look at that accomplishment and look at the fact that, hey, look at this laundry list of things that I've accomplished. Don't just brush past them. You deserve to be in the room. You deserve to have a seat at the table. You deserve to present to the table, you know, (laughs) in some instances. It's nothing that I still don't feel to this day, like 13 years later. And it's something that I will continue to work on. And there's never going to be a time where I'm completely rid of imposter syndrome. My fear is allowing it to get to summit syndrome, which is just the act of chasing an unattainable high, corporate high, where I just am trying to get award after accomplishment and award after accomplishment. And then I burn out. That's all I'm trying to avoid. That's the series of events that I don't want to to go down. Well, I definitely want to talk more about summit syndrome and burnout, especially, but let's go back for a second to that marketing event in New York. So what happened while you were there? And did you feel like your place there was validated at all through the event? Or what was the experience like? Okay, so in the article, and it was completely internal. Okay, so I was on the train headed from Baltimore to New York first class, and I ended up getting into the business class section. And I walked up to a guy and I said, excuse me, I, I do you know where the first class cabin is? And he said, there is no first class cabin. And I was like, well, that's all because my ticket says first class. And I immediately internalized that to be like, does he feel like I don't belong here? Do I not belong here? Is there not a first class seat? Like, why would he say that to me? And I know that my ticket says first class. So it was just the fact that I was doing this independent trip up to New York to speak and attend this marketing conference. And then to have that be my first experience, it was just one of those things where it just snowballed in my head and I suffer from anxiety. So I didn't need, I hardly needed the fuel that he provided to light that match. But I ended up doing a fantastic job. I gave a great perspective, oddly enough, because I was the youngest in the room and I was a millennial. And that's what happens like nine times out of 10. And there's actually a statistic that when they surveyed people 
85% of the things that people worried about didn't happen. So only 15% of the time do the things really happen. And that's exactly the same thing with imposter syndrome. Like I said, it was all me. It was just me thinking that I was inferior and less than. It was nothing that the guy did. It was just me just feeling that way. Absolutely. Okay. So I can definitely see how that first piece of advice, right, just plants a seed in your head. And some, as someone who also suffers from anxiety, right, it's like it's all you need to be off to the races. So how did you get yourself to go up on stage, right? You had to do it. So obviously there's some pressure of that, but like, do you have any tools to kind of calm yourself when you're feeling anxious or feeling that imposter syndrome to push through? So, you know, it, my imposter syndrome is an issue, but when I go on stage and speak by far, the item that holds me back the most is actually that I'm an introvert. So I am an INFJ And what that basically means is, and I'm not too far away from the extrovert spectrum, but, or the extrovert line, but what happens is in spaces where I am not familiar or comfortable with the folks or don't feel like when my imposter syndrome kicks in and I don't feel included or belong, that's when I turn into a mega introvert and really draw inside myself. But in spaces where I'm very familiar with the topic, familiar with the demographic that I'm speaking to then I can dial it up a little bit, really relate to the audience, and I feel more comfortable speaking. So for example, I'm always speaking about millennial moms. Well, that's my jam. You know, like I'm <laughs> I'm super comfortable when it comes to speaking on stage because I know that in and out. I'm very comfortable with speaking about Generation Alpha because that's my kids. Very comfortable with speaking about Black women because that's me, Black women in the workplace. So it's, it's almost like you really have to understand if you're an introvert or an extrovert, and how that is going to play into you as a speaker. Sometimes if I am in a situation where I'm speaking on a topic, like I'm, if I am presenting a topic for the first time that I've been like playing around with, but really want to see what it sounds like to an audience, I do get nervous then. So what I try to do is gather as much data about the audience beforehand, the companies they work for, if they have any demographic information so that I can sprinkle in little anecdotes about what it's like to raise a child, if they have children, I think, if they live in a certain area or if they're from a certain part of the country, that helps out. That actually has nothing to do when it comes to getting on stage with imposter syndrome as much as being an introvert and extrovert and some of the tools that you need as an introvert to be able to present. Absolutely. That makes sense. So summit syndrome is something that I think fewer people are familiar with, right? We've all heard about imposter syndrome, but what is summit syndrome? So summit syndrome is that idea where when it's imposter syndrome left untreated, when you're not realizing the accomplishments that you've had periodically, when you're not actually taking those in and sitting with them and feeling comfortable and proud in that accomplishment, when you're just like, okay, summit syndrome is really how so many women get to burnout because it's the step that we miss. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of being like, okay, I became vice president of the United States. Okay, well, now I'm moving on to becoming the president. Or I became the secretary of the company. Now I'm moving on to vice president. Okay, I did that. Now I'm moving on to the president and CEO of the company. It's just not living and accepting and embracing the moment of and embracing your accomplishments. And it is that act of chasing that high, the chasing the next accomplishment. And it just burns you out. It just truly does. And how does that tie to perfectionism, right? Because these sound a little bit similar of always wanting to make things better. It is very tied. And it's an interesting insight that because millennials grew up in the everybody gets a trophy era, to not get that trophy as an adult means that you aren't perfect in a lot of millennials' minds. So it is the idea of chasing perfection, chasing that trophy. And in the real world, unfortunately, like sometimes that trophy doesn't really exist. And that is what leads to you burning out is chasing something that truly doesn't exist, just like summit syndrome is chasing something that really doesn't exist. The satisfaction is internal. So you're never going to get the satisfaction from each reward or each career step that you reach. So you're really chasing that external validation instead of learning how to be comfortable in your own skin and in your own achievement. So what advice do you have for moms to start to build that ability to self-congratulate almost? Definitely reflecting on the wins as they come. Definitely thinking about what does this position mean for me? And before I try and think about what the next step is, 
what can I pull from this? What new competencies or what new skills can I develop in this existing role? Can I network with other women and learn new skills? Can I strengthen my network just of resources, period? Can I serve as a mentor to somebody else in this role before I decide to just keep swinging from branch to branch? How can I give back? How can I reach across? That to me tends to keep women in the moment and keep them proud of the existing accomplishment rather than worry about what the next step is. And so we talked earlier about balance, right? About how like sometimes it's going to be work and sometimes it's going to be family and we have to just let that trade-off happen. And when I think about what you're saying about summit syndrome and about perfectionism, if you get into that cycle of chasing work accomplishments, Mm -hmm. how do you ever have the ability to flip back and take your foot off the gas to treat your family before burnout or before you're having real family issues or childcare issues? Yeah, gosh, that's a tough question. Going back to the balance. And I hate to say it, but it's almost like once you realize the point that you've tipped the scale too much to the work side, it's almost too late. Like you said, even at two years old, your two-year-old knows when you're doing the podcast. Like, can you imagine if you had tipped the scale so far, you're already in the middle of summit syndrome and burnout. It's it's difficult because I do worry at that point that the relationships that you should have been building with children, it does start to suffer. Like at, it's way before you reach the summit syndrome, probably is in the imposter syndrome stage or earlier, recognizing, yes, that your whole life isn't dependent on your success professionally. I think that is something that should be recognized in the imposter stage. Gosh, I'm such an empath. I'm just thinking like, oh my God, what if that happened to me and my children <laughs> help? That's all what? I can think about in my head. It would be horrible. I think it's a tough question for both of us, right? So like you have a million, you wear a lot of hats. Right. And I went from hedge fund manager to building a business, right? My husband's a stay-at-home dad. So like there's a ton of pressure around income. Yeah. But we still want that relationship with our kids. And I think that sometimes you can start to get that anxiety in your head that everything feels fine, but is it actually fine? Like, are the kids actually okay with this? Am I actually working enough? And that's a scary thing for a lot of moms. And I think might be part of the reason why we see women completely take themselves out of the workforce at some point, right? Where they say like, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to quit completely. So what benefits are there to staying in at some level, even when you're feeling like you've tipped the scales too far the other way? Well, you know, it's definitely harder once you leave the workplace. And there's the popularity of returnships right now where women in their 40s or 50s are going back to companies that they were either at before or new companies to try and at least get to an equivalent or an equal level of where they were when they left. It is definitely hard to juggle work and life, but it's definitely worth it from a career perspective and just from a a role perspective. Like if you're leaving as a manager, chances are you're going to come back with antiquated technologies. Uh, You're not going to know about changes in workplace culture. You're definitely going to lose a lot of the relationships as far as day-to-day relationships with peers. More than likely, they're going to be managers or executives at that point when you're just trying to come in as like an associate or a contributor. Like I said, it's from a financial perspective, it's definitely worth it to stay in the game. Is it easy? Does it make your home life easy? No. But I just always discourage women. And I know how challenging it is with pumping and with just a lot of the unconscious bias that you have to deal with in the workplace as a working mother. You know, very few people are discriminated as much as mothers, especially mothers of color. But if you can stick it out, it is far worth it financially and far more worth it for your children in the end than to leave and try and do a returnship. Let's talk about that bias in the workplace thing for a second, because I think we've all heard of gender pay gaps and racial pay gaps, but the motherhood one is less discussed. (laughs) Yes. So what does that look like? Yeah. So the housework gap looks like the fact that men are able, they do have household chores. They are doing more than previous years, but conversely, women are contributing to the household financially more than previous years. But what men's housework looks like is things that can be put off. They don't require immediate attention mowing the lawn, fixing something around the house. These are things that can be done at any time. Women, when it comes to the housework gap, are doing things that have require immediate care and attention. So they're the caregivers of their parents. For millennials specifically, we're in the sandwich generation. We're caring for children and sometimes caring for ailing and aging parents. 
And then again, childcare being the biggest part of the housework gap for women. You can't just tell a child, okay, I'm going to deal with you in two hours. That doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) It's very unsafe. Right. Very unsafe. So the fact that we have such immediate needs is what exacerbates the housework gap for us. Absolutely. And I think we're seeing that a little bit with COVID-19, right? It's hard to get data in the middle of it, but we're seeing men's careers taking the front seat even when women are making more, the women are still being expected to take care of the kids while the husband works, right? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I have seen some early data about COVID and as far as remote work with women, and it is quite upsetting to me. Like, more, <laughs> it really is. Me too. <laughs> I mean, like 60% of the jobs that were laid off in the first round were jobs by women men were more likely to be encouraged to work from home versus women. And then fewer women were offered paid or unpaid leave. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's just so frustrating. (laughs) It's just so absolutely frustrating. But yeah, I couldn't even believe in the middle of this understanding, again, going back to the sky is falling analogy, understanding how hard it is to work and how hard it is to parent and how much the housework gap disproportionately affects us. That's now on top of all of that, we're the ones that's losing the jobs. <laughs> and we see it in the workplace too, right? I mean, that how wage changes and income changes after women have kids versus after men have kids. Oh yeah. Is totally is drastically different, right? Drastically different. Totally different. Totally different. For example, even when we do want to work remote after giving birth. Fathers are actually three times more likely than us in the same situation to make $100,000 or more. And it's like, I understand that he's the father, but did he really just deliver the child? You know, <laughs> is he contributing to the housework gap as much as I am, which is why I need remote work, which is why the fact that I am commuting or I work more productively than my counterparts without children or I'm working more hours. Does that all not matter to you? (laughs) It's crazy. It's just, it's so unfortunate. We hold an annual online conference called Mamas Talk Money. And last year we had a panel where a woman was discussing how when they were expecting their second child, their husband commented to his employer about the financial stress of bringing another kid. And his manager said, well, let's bring you to HR and we should talk about getting you a raise. And all the women on the panel almost fell out of our chairs like, that does not happen (laughs) when a woman says she's having a kid. Can you imagine? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that's still, clearly that still bothers me, that story. Yes. Yeah. So that gap is really real. And I think it's part of the reason why we're seeing more women and more mothers lean into entrepreneurship. So you started Mompreneur and Me. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So for one hour, moms and their kids do a hands-on activity together. So anything from yoga to bowling to cooking classes, you name it. And then for the second hour, we have childcare on site, CPR trained, and the kids continue the activity with the childcare. And then the moms break off and do a, um, a professional development activity. So they'll hear from a CEO. They might do speed networking. They might work on a core competency. But the idea is that the women are able to network with one another to be able to discuss any challenges that they're having professionally, just have a sounding board. And because even though we're in the middle of virtual networking and a lot of digital experiences because of COVID, virtual networking will never replace human interaction. So the idea comes from the Harvard Business Review, which is our generation is so very popular. We embrace the idea of virtual networking so much, but it has to be bookended by an in-person experience to truly be effective. So the way that Mompreneur and Me works best is that you virtually network on our platform or check out some of the women who would be attending the events. And then in person, you guys connect. And then afterwards, you follow up through social media. And so why the focus on mom entrepreneurs? Why do you like talking to entrepreneurs? Because they're the ones who are just so statistically disadvantaged. Women of color are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, yet they're the ones who have the most trouble with getting funding for their businesses. Mompreneur Me doesn't only have to be for mom entrepreneurs. It can also be for professionals in the workplace. And I think about 70% of working mothers say that they are penalized for starting families and men aren't. And then sometimes even women in the workplace can be a a barrier. Like 70% of women without children say mothers are offered fewer opportunities and move up the ladder 
less than childless women? Are, are those women always contributing to helping another woman move up the ladder? Not always. So I don't think that any woman should be penalized for starting a family. I don't think that any woman should be treated differently from a negative perspective, for sure, for having a family. So I started Mompreneur Me so that those women have a little bit more of an advantage and have a little bit more access to resources that should be allowed to them anyway without having children. So for the mom entrepreneurs out there, I think that the statistics around female-owned businesses getting funding, even from the small business loans to venture capital funding, it's appallingly low, right? We're talking about like 5% or less of the total funding. But some of the argument that I hear on the other side is that a lot of women start businesses, they form LLCs, and they really want to make a small amount of money and also stay home, right? There's not this goal to go hire 30 people. That's right. And that's totally fine, except what limiting beliefs do you think are out there that are keeping women from thinking they can start a business that employs five or 10 other people if they want, that they have to think small? Well, I think that a lot of women, and this is a very difficult skill, don't know how to scale. So they might have a wonderful business idea. They may or may not have a business plan, but more than likely, it doesn't have an idea for a growth trajectory. It doesn't have an idea of how to scale the business to that point. I don't want to say we tend to think small, but you know, God love women. We could rule the world, but we tend to play it safe. So most of the time with the women that I meet with Mompreneur Me, their idea is to have like a small business on Etsy where they're selling handmade goods or they want to blog and contribute to other publications or they might want to open up a small beauty or just do like independent hair and makeup and things like that. But they don't have the idea of, okay, if this is a success, how do I invest back in the business and how do I scale? Um, and I think that that is, and actually, as we have this conversation, I think that that's definitely something that we should tackle with Mompreneur and Me is how to then scale your business, not just to have a business, because there is so much conversation around why women should own their businesses or own a business, but there's very little conversation about how to scale and what funding looks like when you want to scale and hire, to your point, about five to 10 employees. And do you have any advice on finding a mentor or a sponsor in this space, right? Because we are seeing this massive growth of female entrepreneurs and especially mompreneurs, but there's not a huge growth of people that were before us, right? Do we go find male mentors? Do we connect in person? How do we, how do we network in that way? Yeah. So I'm always an advocate for networking in person when you can, when you feel comfortable to do so. Again, because being an introvert, I completely understand people who don't want to network, just randomly go to some type of business function and network. I do think going to different conferences and events, again, women don't like to do that either, hence mompreneur and me, but going to different conferences and events and researching who will be speaking there and connecting with those people, again, going back to the idea of virtual networking and then in-person networking, reaching out to those people beforehand so that you can actually have the conversation at the conference. If you can avoid having that cold conversation at the conference, that's even better. I don't have a problem with male mentors. Some of my mentors are men. I don't discriminate in that fashion, but I just mm -hmm. like to make sure that I have a diverse, different perspectives that I'm listening to, that my ear is is full of diversity <laughs> as much as possible. Absolutely. And I actually, I also am a huge proponent of having a mix of who your mentors and voices in your business and in your career are, because you need different perspectives. And I've had some incredible male mentors throughout my career and sponsors throughout my career. So huge proponent of that as well. So going back to kind of balance and imposter syndrome, I know we keep going through this journey, but I think it's such a common one when women are starting a business, right? If you want to, whether you have a full-time job, actually, let's start there. Let's say you have a full-time job and now you want to start to build a business to maybe ultimately transition out of your career. Okay. Do you recommend setting some kind of schedule to make sure that you're giving enough time to each thing? Do you get extra help during that period? Like, How did you go through starting your businesses while working full-time? Yeah. So what I ended up doing was just doing a little bit. So probably less than part-time when I wanted to ramp up, when I was building the branding, building the online presence, starting very small with one client, I didn't go jump in even to a part-time level, probably into six months or a year 
into the business because I did want to do it very, uh, very slowly. I'm a, a big fan of balance. And when I decided to start writing again full time, so I took a break from writing when I was married. And then in the last couple of years of my marriage, I decided to pick back up with writing and speaking and everything. So once I did that, when I made that conscious decision, I decided that my children were my priority. I really wanted to show them what success looked like, especially as as their mother and as a single mom. I grew up with that. So it was very important to me that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. But I was going to make my children my priority, which my mother said that she regretted that she didn't do. Mm-hmm. So when it came to having the business on the side, I definitely took it very slow. And to your point, yeah, having a schedule is a great idea. Maybe spending like one hour a week at first and then maybe like one hour a day if you can afford to do that. And then really ramping up to maybe having a part-time schedule where you're doing that on Saturdays and Sundays, if your industry allows for that. I think that that's a a great idea. What I discourage um, women from doing is quitting their jobs and believing that there's something wrong with having a full-time job and having a hustle at the same time. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I see so many things about quit your job and be your own boss. And that's just stupid. I mean, can you imagine all the people right now who are suffering as small business owners through COVID when you could have your own part-time job and a full-time job and your part-time job could be the cushion or the savings that you need in the event that something happens at your full-time job? Or maybe it keeps you having the lifestyle that you're accustomed to with just having a full-time job if something happens. So, I mean, that's my biggest problem is when people say that, just like, you know, do the hustle full time. Listen, I totally agree. I mean, so my prior career, I was not legally allowed to have other forms of income, I have other side hustles. So when I left, I left to zero, right? We left to like the site existed, but it had never been monetized. It was, it was zero. And for us, we had two years of runway. We had a very solid financial background. We were going to be fine, but it was still really stressful, mostly to just like not have the consistent income, right? Like right. it all seems like, well, the job is terrible and stressful and I hate it until you realize you're giving up benefits and retirement and income that like will not just be. <laughs> My favorite is when people say, I can't wait to stop working at this company. So I only have, so I can be my own boss. And it's like, you idiot wants <laughs> to stop working at your job. You go from having one boss to 40 bosses or however many clients you have, because your job becomes now pleasing those clients. Yeah. And even if you do something, so like we mostly sell digital products and courses, right? So I don't have freelance clients, but I have to show up right on the podcast. every <laughs> I got to do all our own accounting and bookkeeping. And like, you're not just doing the things you're passionate about. You're doing everything. You're wearing all the hats. Right. Yeah. And I think I'm sure you've seen this as well. But what drives me crazy is the um, quit your job and work from home with your kids narrative, right? If like your kids won't have to go to daycare, you can save all this money. (laughs) Why is that problematic? Can you share your thoughts? Oh my God. And you know what? Honestly, that was like the initial conversations with COVID, right? Those first two weeks was like, oh, we're working from home with the kids. And it's like, have you ever done that? (laughs) It is that in itself is a crisis. Okay. And then we put a crisis, an actual crisis on top of it. It's just, it's madness. Because, and you know, it's funny when you talk about having mentors, I actually in some ways consider my kids my mentors because they focus grouped my children's book. So they helped me write it. And it's interesting because now with that book, sales have skyrocketed because it's a book that helps mothers explain to their children why they have to work. And it's almost like, thank God these kids helped me write this book because It goes through the idea of everything your kids do to you when you work from home. The idea of messing with you and pouring salt in the coffee instead of sugar and telling you, oh, I don't like your outfit today. You should probably change it. And the cattiness, like that's all in the book. And it's the idea of the mother like snapping on them and saying, leave me alone. Like that is what working from home (laughs) with children is like. And listen, for some people, it's the reality, right? My very good friend from outside of Boston, childcare was too expensive, right? So she switched to working from home three days a week and she goes to the office two days a week. But it's really hard. Right. Those <laughs> days are hardly as productive as her days in the office. And that's okay to see, you know, that's that's the truth. And she works early mornings and nights and she catches up on the weekends. And it's not this idea that like, hey you can do both, right? Because they're both full-time jobs. And I think understanding that before people just like opt out 
of the full-time job. It's definitely not easier. It's just different. It's different. It requires a different level of patience. It requires a lot more independence on you and a lot more structure. Exactly. I always say set expectations with your employer and with those kids. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when there's old and like, you know, I'm on a call. Do not come in this room. Like I have to constantly set expectations with my children. And it depends on age too, right? So, oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. If I had a two-year-old like you, that would not work because one of my favorite calls is when I was presenting about how to market to millennial moms and the stresses and the demands that they have in their lives. And I was on a video call and my two-year-old was banging on the laptop at the same time. I said, I cannot illustrate this point better than right now with my son banging on this laptop. I said, I cannot keep him quiet. This is what it is. <laughs> I was on a podcast recording recently where you, you can see this big window behind me. Obviously, the people listening can't, but both boys were unclothed, banging on the window. I love it. <laughs> because they've completely stripped down because no one paid attention to them for 30 seconds. Oh, I love it. But that's motherhood. That's how it right, works. Right, exactly. That's what it is. But you mentioned earlier the benefits of women having their own businesses, right? And the encouragement to do so. What What are some of those benefits? So I will speak from my personal experience that I learned a lot of entrepreneurial skills when I jumped out of the workforce and then went back in. I also ended up making more money because I had those skills. So I learned what it meant to be a leader, what it meant to manage a team, what it meant to manage a budget, what it meant to be innovative, what it meant to be a quick and agile thinker and bring something to market very quickly because I didn't have anybody that I had to, I didn't have a legal team or anybody telling me or a risk team telling me we should or shouldn't do that. I could be very resourceful and very innovative. And those are the kinds of skills that certain companies, especially very traditional companies who don't usually work that way, they're looking for employees to think like business owners. So I think that those are skills that every woman should have. Absolutely. And one of the biggest And to this day, I have a problem with finding women who have this skill is sales. Just the fact that once you are on your own, no one is going to give you a paycheck. You have to work very hard for that sale. You need to understand your potential client inside and out. You need to ask for the sale and ask for the sale and ask for the sale and close it. And that is a skill with um, Mompreneur Me because it is completely free for moms. Everything is sponsored by companies. And we are looking for fundraising specialists right now with companies. That's a skill I have not found. I specifically want a woman in the role. And it's very hard for me to find a woman with a strong sales background. Yeah, sales is really hard for female entrepreneurs, especially new to like understand that like there's that inclination, I think. And obviously this isn't everybody, but there is a a societal expectation that like we're supposed to be givers, right? The discomfort <laughs> so of that, right? It's so hard of like, we want to give so much away for free and then we're still afraid to ask for the sale, right? Right. We're givers and we don't like to brag, which goes back to why networking is so hard for us, which is why that's what one of the things we focus on with Mompreneur Me, exactly. Because we don't want to sell ourselves. We don't want to sell a product and we don't want to sell ourselves. It makes it very, very difficult, right? And that brings us right back in a circle to imposter syndrome, right? If we don't believe we have the skills and that's really hard. So for new moms that are just going to like their their first networking events, they're trying to overcome this. Yeah. And as an introvert yourself, what tips do you have to like show up and actually be able to do the elevator pitch about your own skills? So it's very simple to do an elevator pitch and just say, my name is, and I help or I work on anytime that you can mention a celebrity or some type of impressive number or savings that you're able to do anything that you can quantify or ooh and awe, basically somebody with tends to help the conversation run a little bit smoother, tends to make you look impressive. You can always start out with finding somebody who just looks like they have a very friendly and comforting face. Sometimes I'll look for the guy in the room who looks like Santa Claus because I absolutely refuse to be the black girl who walks up to the next black girl and has a conversation. I just will not do it. I will not be that token. So (laughs) I always try to find somebody to talk to who does not look like me. And then once I've made a a good amount of net, done a little bit of networking in the room, then I will start to speak in circles that I'm comfortable with. So I will go talk to the women. I will go talk to the black people, but I want to make sure that I'm speaking to a diverse group of people whenever I'm networking. And, and that helps me to get over that imposter syndrome too. 
if I can just say, you know, I'm Christine Michelle Carter, I'm an author and also the creative mompreneur me and tell people a little bit about that. That's what I would probably say is just think of a really small elevator pitch, what your name is and who you help or how you do it or how you've impacted something and find people with very comforting faces in the room. And there, there, there are some people who are always going to be stuffy and kind of holier than thou and self-important. Don't rush to those people because those are the people that are going to exacerbate your imposter syndrome. So my first job was um, equity research. So we were literally writing stock pitches, right? And then pitching them to portfolio managers all over the world. And one of my mentors was like, you need to be able to pitch it in 30 seconds. And he literally got a watch, sat on my desk and was like, okay, go over and over and over again until we could do it in 15 seconds. And so I actually ended up doing that when I was really early in my career with my elevator pitch of like good shorter and shorter. And I think that practice and just thinking even before you go into the room of like, what am I going to say? And it's okay if it feels a little canned the first couple of times you say it. But I, I really agree with that thinking beforehand, what's going to ooh and ah. Let's practice it. Let my tongue get used to saying it. It definitely makes it easier. And so, Christine, as we wrap up here, I think there's a lot of moms, especially with COVID-19 and all the responsibilities we have that are starting to feel that burnout. Yeah. So what advice do you have if you're going through that in the moment where you're really feeling just drained and like you can't do this the way you're doing it anymore? So if your employer offers any type of leave to cope with this situation, don't try and be a hero. Don't try to compare yourself to a colleague who doesn't have a child or who isn't in your situation. Nobody knows your situation, but you take the leave. If you have it, we're close to the half of the year. I, like so many other mothers, I'm like, but I got to save it in case there's an emergency. And then December 15th rolls around and I've got like three weeks of leave. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, well, there was no emergency. So chances are nothing will be as bad as COVID. I mean, I don't know. This has been a year where the Olympics has been canceled. It's the census. It's COVID. It's it's all, it's too much. You know, it's like the wildfire. So someone brought up the wildfires. I was like, was that this year? (laughs) Right, right. Like knock on wood, nothing will be as bad as COVID. Take the leave. The other thing is just to recognize that you can't do it all and no one expects you to do it all. And it's unfair if somebody expects you to do it all. I am not going to be a third grade teacher and a pre-K teacher overnight. I am not going to be able to have my child on every conference call when I have conference calls too. I don't know this new math. Okay. So, and I'm not trying to learn it. So if my daughter doesn't, if you didn't teach it to her, from September to February, well, then God damn it, it's not getting done because I just can't, I'm not putting that pressure on myself to become a teacher overnight. And that's all I'm saying is like, be realistic with yourself and be gentle with yourself and understand that we're living in unprecedented times. There's no expectation for you to be mother of the year right now. Really, the expectation should only be for you to survive. Absolutely. I love that. This has been great. But Christine, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. Okay. So the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where the magical hat asks a question to reveal something about you. Ooh, like Harry Potter. Okay. Exactly like Harry Potter. (laughs) Harry Potter figures right behind me. Are you ready? Yes. What is your absolute favorite song to pick you up when you're feeling down? Oh my gosh. Groove is in the heart by delight. Nice. Good (laughs) choice. (laughs) We did a playlist last year during the summit. We talked about networking online versus networking in person. And we were trying to find ways to kind of bring the online community together. So we created a Spotify list of everyone's favorite pickup song. And I don't actually think that was on the list. So maybe we'll have to go back and add it to the playlist. That's a good one. That's awesome. All right, Christine, where can people follow up with you and find more of your work? So uh, visit christinemichellecarter.com, M-I-C-H-E-L. My parents named me after Mickey Mouse and changed the K to an H and the Y to an L like idiots. And then uh, mompreneurandme.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great talking to you. I hope we get to speak again soon. Thank you, Chelsea, for having me. I enjoyed myself. Mamas, I can't even imagine managing all the things Christine does a successful career, side hustles as a speaker and an author, an entrepreneur running Mompreneur and Me events, and a single mom to boot. Seriously, she's a super mama. But whether you're wearing a thousand hats like Christine or just trying to get a handle on your career while parenting, I think we all struggle with mom guilt, the illusion of balance, and trying to avoid burnout. It's not an easy thing we're trying to do, and I think just admitting that can ease our minds a bit. 
As always, I've rounded up my top three favorite takeaways for you to carry into your life as a working mama. First, balance is a myth. You may have already figured this out, but if not, the idea of perfect balance just isn't a real thing. You can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Sometimes our careers take the front seat. Sometimes we need to take our foot off the gas for a little while and lean into our families. That's okay. In fact, it's healthy. There is a rhythm and seasons to life. As long as we check in with ourselves regularly, make sure we're comfortable with our priorities in the moment, we'll all be just fine. Don't beat yourself up for not being able to show up 100% for everyone all the time. It's just not possible. Second, imposter syndrome can lead you to take yourself out of the running for opportunities, but it can also lead to burnout. Before reading Christine's writing, I had heard of summit syndrome. It's when you're constantly chasing the next goal, the next success, over and over without appreciating your achievements. It felt familiar to me, but I'd never connected it with imposter syndrome. Often we think of imposter syndrome as hindering our progress, right? And it can do that. We might take ourselves out of the running for a promotion or stay quiet in an important meeting. If that's you, take a listen to episode 43 on bragging better. Yet imposter syndrome can also mean that we don't believe in our own accomplishments, that we don't feel like enough. So we have to constantly prove our worth to ourselves and to others, taking on bigger projects, going after that next promotion. And that cycle of proving ourselves, that can lead to burnout. Success is great. Money is great. Who doesn't love money? But success for its own sake is a trap. Stay clear on what you really want and define enough for you and your family. Honor what you've achieved and be proud of yourself. If you want to go to the next level, if it will truly get you something more, go for it. Just don't feel like you have to stay on the treadmill until you pass out. And finally, third, you can't do it all, all on your own. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Parenting and managing a house is a full-time job before adding your career and your relationship and your friendships. This expectation that we are present for our kids 100% of our time, that our houses are always spotless, that we're crushing it at work, that we're caring for our partner and being caring friends, and that we're doing it all by ourselves is frankly completely insane. It's too much. There are only so many hours in the day. Okay, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing that my therapist would probably have something to say about me not having self-care on that list. Oops, work in progress. Go back and add that. Anyway, Christine discussed how she brings her kids into the discussion around why she works so hard and uses it to teach them and foster their independence. I think that's brilliant. She also has the support of her family, and I love that she's found a local girl to help babysit so she can get some work done. It really does take a community. We are not islands. Remember that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to prioritize a house cleaning service in your budget or ask a friend to pick your kid up from dance class one day. Often, the pressures to do it all come from inside. Your loved ones understand that you're human. You just need to ask for help. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Christine again for joining me on the show and sharing her amazing experience and insight. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I so appreciate you spending some time with me today. And as a reminder, if you're looking for a summary of our key takeaways, links to Christine's book, or her upcoming Mompreneur and Me events, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Christine. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.